Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Well, let's look at Luke chapter 19 this morning. Luke chapter 19. We're going to do a little study before the study. We're normally in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll get into it because I did a very in-depth study last year of Palm Sunday, so you can go online or you can get the CD for the really in-depth study. I'm just going to try to do like a 15-minute quick flyover of Palm Sunday. So, Luke 19, verse 28. When Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass when Jesus drew near Bethanage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you. Now, I think we got a picture. Do we got a picture, Jimmy? Okay, so this is uh, the Mount of Olives. There's Terrence and Donna, Matt and Gina, uh, David and Angeli. And so we're actually on the Mount of Olives. Um, This is the Kidron Valley behind them. And you can see Jerusalem in the background and you can see the Temple Mount up top. And so that's a picture. And the next picture, now this is on the top of the Mount of Olives, looking all the way down. The Kidron Valley is called the Kidron Valley or the Valley of Jehoshaphat, the Valley of Judgment, which we'll get to in Revelation, is at the very bottom. And then it goes up. You can see the gold dome, Dome of the Rock, um, the third holiest site for Islam. That has a platform. All those trees, you see all the white stone, and then you see that cropping of trees up there. That's the Temple Mount area that has lots of trees on it that we actually went up upon. So we don't know the exact route that Jesus took. Um, They designate certain places as this is it. We don't know. But none of those graves would have been there. It would have been all olive trees. So looking from the top, it would have been all olive trees. That's why they call it Mount of Olives. Why would it have been all olive trees? Well, they needed the oil to keep the lamp in the sanctuary lit and for everyone else to have oil as well. They didn't have electricity back then. And so it would have been all olive, just beautiful. It just would have been absolutely beautiful. So saying, go into the village opposite you, verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 30, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, so that would have been where it's basically white, where you see a lot of um, all the white, and you can actually see a road going up to the left. So those next area of trees would have been the bottom of the Kidron Valley. So as we're going in our text here. Then when he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to Jesus from the crowd, Teacher, 
rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, now you can imagine in all the chaos, people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save now. They were thinking politically, we want to be delivered of Roman oppression. But we know from the scriptures, we need salvation because we're sinners. And as sinners, we proclaim, Hosanna, you have saved us. You have saved us from our sin, our destiny of hell. And you are now letting us into heaven. But he answered and said to them, so I don't think he was just saying, I I tell you the truth. He's probably yelling. I mean, at these major feasts, Israel would, Jerusalem would swell to at least a minimum of a million people, if not two or three million people for the major feast. It was a requirement that Passover, all Jewish males that were within distance had to come to the feast. So you could imagine the chaos, all the Hosanna, Hosanna, and all that was going on. And so Jesus just didn't say this quietly. He had to yell it. I tell you that if these should keep silent... The stones would immediately cry out. Would have been the first rock concert right there. (laughs) Not that those things have souls. None of that, not Mother Earth. None of that nonsense. God caused a donkey to speak. And if nobody would have proclaimed what they were proclaiming, God would have caused the rocks to shout out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now as he drew near, he saw the city. Very, very important as we think of this day. And he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day. Now, as you read your Bibles from Genesis to Revelation, I encourage you to slow down and read your Bibles devotionally. And as you see certain things, your brain's going to go, This day? What, What about this day? What's so great about this day? The first day of the week, it would have been a Sunday. What's so great about it? You're going to see. Especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Do we have one more slide, Jim, from the Mount of Olives? Here's the group. Here's the group. Now, can I see it? Yeah, because I know where it's at. I don't have a a pointer. But anyway, so this is the group that went with us. Uh, There was 56 of us. Shlomi with the backpack on. He was our tour guide. We're praying for his salvation. He is so close. But anyways, we're going to get to it. There's a dome of the spirits that is off to the right. So I'm looking like you are. You see the golden dome. Uh, That's the, the dome of the rock. If you go to the edge of that structure and go over about five or six inches, you're going to see a tiny, tiny, tiny little white dome, which we're going to have a close-up picture, don't worry, but you're going to see a tiny, tiny little white dome. It's called the Dome of the Spirits. I'll talk more about that. Could the third temple be built on the Temple Mount without destroying the the Dome of the Gold? The Dome of the Mosque there. Answer, yes, absolutely. I'll show you in a few minutes. So, you see, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the exact day prophesied about in the book of Daniel 9.25. There would be 69 sevens from the time of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem to the coming of the Messiah. Again, I'm not going to go in depth. You can get the study from last year or do your own study. 
So when the scholars went back and studied the records found in Shushan the palace, the date commissioned to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem by Nehemiah via Artaxerxes was March 14th, 445 B.C. They know the exact date. If we then take and multiply the number of years, 483, by 360 days, the Jewish calendar in that day and age, we come up with a total of 173,880 days. We now know that there are 365 and a quarter days to a full year cycle. So if you divide the 365 and a quarter into the 173,880 days and add those days to the date commissioned by Artaxerxes, you'll end up with the date of March or April 6th, 32 A.D. What did Jesus say? If you had only known, even you, especially in this your day. The exact day was prophesied hundreds of years earlier. And the religious elite were looking for a conquering Christ, as well as a majority of the Jews, not a suffering servant. If they would have been combing the scriptures, they could have counted the days and they would have known, this is our Messiah. This is our Messiah. And guys, there's an exact day when Jesus is coming back to this earth for the rapture of the church. There is an exact day and our eyes need to stay in the scriptures and not get caught up in politics or agendas or any other that nonsense. Vote. Definitely vote. Do what you can, but don't get caught up in it because Jesus is coming back right on time and nobody's going to stop him. Those specializing in the dating of history, which I am not one of them, have found that this would have been the time frame of this particular Passover. And you can verify this information in the coming prints. If you'd like to purchase it or go online, you can do your own research. Chapter 10, Sir Robert Anderson, 1841 to 1918 is when he lived. Verify it. Check it out. Maybe you're a skeptic. Do your homework. All right, I think we have a slide of the Eastern Gate. Uh, So there's the Eastern Gate in the far distance. You see all the olive trees there. So we're now at the bottom of the valley. And now we're looking up. So that's the Eastern Gate. Ezekiel, do we have another slide, Jim? Okay, so I did a little bit of teaching at a church that's located there. Uh, the Church of the Nations that was built in the 1900s. Church of the Nations. Again, you can see the Eastern Gate in the background. Do we have one more slide, Jim, or are we going into Ezekiel? Go ahead. Okay, Ezekiel 43. Afterwards, he brought me to the gate. The gate that faces towards the east. So now, let's, can, Jim, can you go back to that previous slide? That would be the Eastern Gate. This is the only gate on the eastern side. There's only one gate. It's that gate. Okay, back to Ezekiel. And behold, the glory of God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. Guys, that's a prophecy of Jesus coming back to this earth. And the glory of the Lord came into the temple by way of the gate which faces towards the east. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me. Notice the Holy Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. 
Uh, next slide. Zechariah 14, 1 through 4. Again, prophecy. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. This is basically the battle of Armageddon. We'll talk about this more in Revelation. Then the Lord will go forth. This is Jesus. And fight against those nations as he fights in the day of his battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. When Jesus comes back to this earth, he's not coming back to the East Coast. He's coming back, according to scriptures, to the Mount of Olives. Which faces Jerusalem on the east. That's very specific. Right where we were standing. That's where Jesus is coming back to. The Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west. So as we were sitting there looking to the west, there's going to be this topographical movement now where the Mount of Olives is literally going to split and two new mountain ranges most likely are going to be created. Making a very large valley, half of the mountain shall be moved towards the north. So as we were sitting at that place, Jim, can you go back to the slide where we, that right there, that teaching. So get this picture. He's coming back to the eastern gate. He's going to walk through that eastern gate. And you might look at that and go, well, how could he? It's blocked up. Well, that's what the Muslims thought when they blocked up the gate. Because, well, the Messiah can't come through a closed gate. That's because they don't know Jesus. And they also put a cemetery in front of the gate. There's many, many bodies that are buried there. Because the Messiah would never walk through a cemetery. Never. Again, they don't know Jesus. He's going to split it. And where I'm standing, roughly thereabouts, it's going to go to the north and to the south. Now go back to the last slide, Jim, that you were on. Making a very large valley. Not a little valley. A very large valley. Half of the mountain shall be moved toward the north and half of it towards the south. Very, very interesting. Again, for time's sake, let's go. What do you got on the next slide, Jim? Okay, so now we're up on the Temple Mount. And yes, you can go on the Temple Mount. Matter of fact, I do this on every tour. I've, I've had the privilege of going 10 times. Um, we're going to go back in 2025 if you'd like to go. Um, I'll have uh, flyers available very quickly. And you can start saving your money and, and if you'd like to go. Um, uh, every seventh or eighth day, whenever it is, towards the end of the tour, I'll get up in front of the group uh, and the bus, and we have a microphone on the bus. It's first class everything. It's just absolutely wonderful. Because when you tell people, hey, I'm going to go to Israel, what is one of the very first things they say to you? This is not like going to Chicago or New York, but they'll say this anyways. Is it safe? Hello? We're not going to Philadelphia. New Orleans. Houston. Phoenix. L.A. We're going to Israel. Hello, wake up. And so we actually go on the Temple Mount. Now, we can't carry our Bibles. We can't pray. We can't sing. According to Islam, the peaceful religion, they want a piece of you over there and a piece of you over there and a piece of you over there. So they rule and reign over the Temple Mount. That's just the way it is. Israel wants peace, and so they they allow that to take place. But we went up there, and we went to the Eastern Gate, and we walked around, we took pictures. Praise God. So now you see this little dome right here? Now we got a close-up shot of that little dome. There's that little dome that I mentioned to you that you could barely see on that first picture. Just barely, barely see. This is a very interesting dome. That's what? Matt and Gina are there. And Jenny and... 
I'm forgetting your name. Karen. <laughs> That's what happens, guys, when you smoke too much pot in the 70s. Don't smoke pot. She I just talked to you before the service. Hello. I even told her, well, you're in one of the pictures. Karen's there. Okay, anyways. So <laughs> there is that. Well, what is that? If you look down below their feet, foundation stone. Foundation stone. It's called the Dome of the Spirits, originally built by the Muslims in the 900s. The 900s. So when you hear today this nonsense about the Jews were never in Jerusalem, they never had a temple mount, they never had a temple, what did they build? They built this dome and called it also the Dome of the Tablets. Tablets? What tablets? The tablets that Moses had when he came down from the mount and put in the Ark of the Covenant? The Muslims in the 900s were acknowledging that the Jews were there, that they had a temple, and that this is the very spot where the Holy of Holies was. Yeah, let that sink in. They are going to build a third temple, no matter what anybody says. Because the Antichrist is going to come on the scenes and he's going to allow it to happen. You see the Dome of the Rock over there on the right? That's not going to be removed. Now, I had an interesting conversation when I was in Jerusalem. Our guide, Shlomi, said, oh, you got to meet this guy. you got to meet this guy. Okay, I'll meet him. I'll meet him. And so I went into his shop thinking, okay, he wants to sell me something. And uh, we don't need anything. But okay, I'll meet him. And he starts to talk to me. He goes, I don't want to sell you anything. I just want to share with you my perspective. And he goes, I know what you think. And I've been here in 38 years. He was American. I've lived here 38 years. And I know I've read the Bible. I know what you think. And, but let me share with you what I think. I go, okay, share on. What, just let, let's hear it. What do you think? And so he's telling me that they know exactly where the Ark of the Covenant is. I go, you do? Where is it? And he goes on to tell me this whole story, too much time. But basically, the Ark of the Covenant is below the Temple Mount. They know that for sure. And I go, well, what about the Shrine of the Spirit? Oh, that was a decoy. What the Muslims are going to do when the Antichrist comes on the scene is the Muslims are going to take apart the Golden Dome... So it's not warfare. They're going to joyfully take apart the golden dome and they're going to build the temple where the golden dome is. <laughs> that ain't happening. That ain't happening. Read your Bible. There's going to be a one world religion. There's not, none of that's going to happen. And there's plenty of room. We, we paced it out. We had four guys stand at the four corners of the new temple that's going to be built during the tribulation period. Plenty of room. And as you read your Bible, we'll get into it in Revelation. The outer court will be given to the Gentiles. The dome of the rock is in the outer court. Whole another story, but it's in the outer court. Fits in perfectly with the word of God, which, surprise, surprise. So the dome of the spirit stands above exposed bedrock, possibly the threshing floor that King David purchased for the future temple that would have been built by his son Solomon. You see, the Dome of the Spirits is, a direct, is in direct alignment. Here's another very important point. You can study this. There's so much archaeology. But it's in direct alignment with the Eastern or Golden Gate. It's in direct alignment. Dome of, the, dome of the Golden Dome? No, it's not. This dome 
it's in direct alignment with the Eastern Gate, which had to take place because they would have messengers on the Mount of Olive on feast days when the sun would set or when they would offer sacrifices. There was messages that they would send, and then that would be sent because they didn't have, you know, social media. They had fires, and they would pick up fires and be fire signals letting people know this is taking place. This, and only on special feasts, only on special occasions, not every day. So it had to be in alignment so that they could see what was taking place. So guys, as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, know that Jesus is coming back right on time. Donald Trump is not going to save us. Vote. Do your research. But don't get caught up in all the nonsense. You know, your First Amendment, your Second Amendment. Don't forget who you are. You are an ambassador for Christ. Anything else is icing on the cake. If it all gets taken away, it doesn't matter. We're slaves. We are servants of the Most High God. Nothing else matters but taking people with us to heaven. Wipe out the whole Constitution. It doesn't matter. Who are we going to take to heaven with us? The Constitution, guys, is not in heaven. Don't worry about it. It's not there. The Word of God is there. The Word of God is there forever and ever. And as our first century and second century and third century brothers, it's estimated between three and five million, three and five million Christians were martyred for the faith. They didn't have any amendments. They didn't have any rights. Rome crucified them, executed them at their will. You will not find a teaching of Jesus saying, go gather arms and fight for me and then I'll come back. Rather, Jesus said, you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Be careful what you live by. Use your rights. I do. Praise God. But I'm willing to surrender them for Christ. He is way more important than anything that American can give me. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness, your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for the rights we have. I mean, we are the most blessed nation on the face of the earth. And I personally believe that that's because it was founded on the Word of God. Not that everybody was Christian. We know they were. But we had those foundational principles, and we have had them for hundreds of years. But then the enemy, our spiritual enemy, planted that seed. Take the Bible out of school. Take prayer out of school. And in 62, 63... Prayer and Bible was taken out of schools. Take the Ten Commandments out of schools. The Ten Commandments have been taken out of schools, and what do we have? A bunch of animals. Because we've been teaching them that you came from animals, so just be an animal. Do what you want to do. Father, we know the truth, that your Son spoke everything into being. And that he created mankind after your image. Male and female, he created them. And Father, you gave us the gift of marriage. One male, one female. And we know in Ephesians why. It's that representation of Christ and the church. So, Father, we know, as we have seen in your word, there will always be a faithful remnant of believers. 
And Father, we want to be a part of that faithful remnant. So even this morning as we open your word, as we already have and as we continue to, Lord, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. What's happening in this world is not scientific. It's not common sense. It's demonic. It's straight from the pit of hell. It's so easy to see for the believer. But for the unbeliever, they're they're swallowing it. Hook, line, and sinker. So, Father, if there's anyone in our midst this morning that doesn't know Jesus, again, every believer in this room right now, Father, we're praying. We're interceding for their soul. Open their eyes. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. It's the only answer for the perils that we see ourselves in. I pray for the gift of teaching in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're not going to get a whole lot done, but we've gotten a lot done already, so praise God. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, if you're new or visiting, we're going through the Bible, verse by verse. We're going to go through 2 Corinthians. We're going to wrap it up here in the next few studies. Next week, obviously, is resurrection, so we'll wrap it up probably um, whatever that's going to be on the 16th, I think, um, or something like that. Will it be the 16th? What's today? Today's the 2nd, the 9th. The 16th. I guarantee you, if God allows, (laughs) we'll wrap it up on the 16th. We'll see what happens. This will be the third time I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. So for new people or new to the faith, Paul is still addressing what's taking place in the church at Corinth. Unfortunately, they should be mature, as we've already talked about uh, in communion. They should be more mature than they are, but they're not. And we don't blame them. They didn't have the whole word of God. We have the whole word of God, so we get the bigger picture. They just didn't have the whole word of God, and Paul doesn't even realize he's writing the word of God, but they're going to be getting the word of God. So as they read this, they're reading the word of God. And what is taking place is there were, there were those within or without, we don't know exactly for certain, but they were coming in and they were basically saying, you know, Paul, he thinks he's an apostle. He's not an apostle. I mean, look at the guy. Look how short he is. Look at his crooked nose. His eyes are always watering. And listen to his speech. I mean, he can hardly put two sentences together, like our vice president. It's kind of hard. You're going to believe this guy? But us... Look at us. Look how tall we are. Look how well we talk. Oh, we're apostles. You see, Paul, knowing that the false apostles will be hearing this letter as well as the general assembly, points his spiritual children back to some very practical insights. Once again, he references the Old Testament. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy chapter 19. To bring spiritual maturity into the lives of these young Christians. Very, very important that we read all the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Don't do Bible roulette where you have your Bible on your lap and you just let it fall open. And you go, put your finger on somewhere. You go, oh, this is from God. And Judas went out and hung himself. No, that is not from God. Don't be foolish. Read from Genesis to Revelation. And in Deuteronomy 19, one witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits, but the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. 
If a false witness rises up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord. Wow, wouldn't that be wonderful if that took place today? Before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days. In other words, we're going to take our case before God and before the word of God. Because Moses was given the word of God. So if we just ran our lives by the word of God, we would have very few problems in this world. That's a fact. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition. And behold, if the witness be a false witness and has testified falsely against his brother, then shall you do unto him as he is thought to have done unto his brother. Wouldn't this be great for Russian gate and all the other gates that are taking place? So shall you put the evil away from among you. And those which remain shall hear and fear and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. In other words, false accusations. Oh, you want us to kill him and it comes out that it was a lie? You're dying. That would help eliminate any problems right then and there. And this verse is very important, verse 21, because some people will quote this to you. Taking it out of context. Oh, you serve such a loving God. And they'll quote this verse. Your eye shall not have pity. Life shall be for life. Eye for eye. Tooth for tooth. Hand for hand. Foot for foot. Two things about that verse there that are very important. So in other words, there needs to be right justice. Proper justice. If someone intentionally does something to another person, gouges out an eye, causes an infliction, it's proven, then the person that deliberately did that, deliberately, remember what, please hear the word I'm using, deliberately, because accidents happen. This was not in the case of accidents. Deliberately, then their eye should be taken out deliberately. That's one point. The second point as the men, not talking to you ladies, the men will totally understand what I'm about ready to say. It doesn't say take out both eyes. Because us guys, we like revenge. Oh, you slapped me once? I'm going to slap you twice. Now, you ladies might not identify with that, but I bet a lot of you guys can identify with that. The word of God says, no, 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 no. Justice. Whatever took place, that's all that takes place. Nothing more. Not revenge. Let God's will be done. And so as we look back in Corinthians... This is what Paul is addressing. This will be the third time I am coming to you by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Every word shall be established. Now, again, they were Gentiles predominantly. There were some Jews, but they were predominantly Gentiles. So they didn't have the Old Testament. They weren't raised in the Old Testament. They didn't understand the Old Testament. So Paul's bringing them to the Old Testament. You and I don't have that excuse. We have Bibles in our homes. And again, please bring in Bibles. Those Bibles you're not using, please bring them in. We're collecting Bibles, as uh, Steve mentioned last week, to send them off to people who don't have Bibles. So since those who came without or were already within the church at Corinth were accusing Paul of not being an apostle, the Corinthians should be looking at their fruit to see if the accusers are actually serving the Lord or serving their own flesh. They should be wise fruit inspectors, not salvation investigators. None of us should be salvation investigators. That's between God and a person. But we should know, as Jesus said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. So we should be wise fruit inspectors basing their evaluations of the facts on the word, 
I said of, it should have been on, I made that mistake, not the team, and not the opinions of people. How is our country being run now, unfortunately? It is being run by the opinions of people. Oh, that's your opinion? It's not scientific. It's not common sense. Oh, but we agree because it's your opinion. No, we're to go back to the facts of the word and base it on those facts. You see, Paul was metaphorically a shepherd of the souls, and it was the shepherd's job to feed the flock as well as defend the flock. Paul was willing to do both. You see, a shepherd had a staff, that long stick that you might have seen with a little crook on the end of it, a little bend in it. He would use that to gently guide the sheep and pull them out of places they shouldn't be, but he also had a rod. And the rod was a short stick with a large knot on the end of it. And when a predator would try to sneak into the fold, the shepherd was efficient in throwing his rod and hitting the predator, thus scaring the predator away. If that is what the Corinthians needed Paul to do, then that is what he would do. There were those who were spreading rumors about Paul, but the Holy Spirit gave him the insight to handle the matter. Where are the witnesses? And we even see in the New Testament, because unfortunately this takes place even within the church. But what does the New Testament tell us to do? Well, 1 Timothy 5.19 says, Do not receive an accusation against an elder. So this is the pastorate. These are elders. But this could also be anyone in the faith. You know, a, a, a person in their 20s who's been in the faith for 8, 10, 12 years, I would consider an elder. They know the Word of God. They're practicing the Word of God. They're doing their devotions. They're having fruit around the church. And to a new believer, even a 60-year-old person, they are way older in the faith than that 60-year-old person. So for us as believers, we need to make sure that we're not on social media endorsing things that we don't even know are true but actually going and finding out if it's true. And I can guarantee you 99% of the stuff would go away because we will not take the time to find out if it is true because we have our lives. We don't have time to run around. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. That means an eyewitness. Not like, well, so-and-so told so-and-so told so-and-so. That's not an eyewitness. That's the old phone game. No, 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 no. Eyewitnesses. Very, very important. Verses 2 and 3. 2 Corinthians 13, 2 and 3. I have told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time, and now being absent, I write those who have sinned before, and to all the rest, that if I come again, I will not spare. Oh, this guy had some, yeah, he was, yeah, you want it? Okay, come on, bring it on. I may be old, but I'm going to show you a thing or two. Verse 3, since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you. You see, Paul once again warned those who were in the rebellion in sin that he would come and deal with them in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Acts chapter 13. Let's look at Acts chapter 13. Now, since the Holy Spirit was already in the Christians at Corinth, and the Holy Spirit was working mightily through them, 
read 1 Corinthians 13 and other verses, what were they thinking? Why would we receive these false accusations? Why would we think anything less of Paul? I mean, did they really need proof of Paul's authority? Well, in Acts chapter 13, I love this story. Now, when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew who was named Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intellectual and intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Very good. That's a very wise decision. But Almoes, the sorcerer, for so his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost. So as what we're going to read, it is very important to realize that you have power, but when you're going to use that power, you want to make sure that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and what you're going to proclaim is via the Holy Spirit and not your own flesh out of anger or hatred or revenge or bitterness or whatever the case may be. But you're actually in prayer, and if the Holy Spirit encourages you to say something, then you should say it, even if it's a rebuke. Speak the truth in love, the Bible says. But speak the truth in love. Looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, which is recklessness, you son of the devil. This is Saul speaking here, guys. Jesus said this about the Pharisees. You're of your father, the devil. You call yourself Abraham's seed. You're not Abraham's kids. You enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you. And you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. Whoa, hello. That's pretty bold. And immediately a dark mist fell on him. And he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Paul's saying to the Corinthians, you want to see power? Really? Is that what you really want to see? Because I didn't come to destroy you. I came to build you up. But if you really need to see power, I'm sure that the Holy Spirit could use me to do that if he so chooses. Now, again, this isn't a thing that we just throw around. I'm not insinuating that at all. Because if these great faith healers had so much faith, we wouldn't have any need for hospitals because they would be going into the hospitals and healing people. They're a bunch of charlatans, most of them. There is the gift of healing. Firmly believe in the gifts. But a lot of it is deceit. Verse 12, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord as the music team comes up. We'll wrap it up with that. We got through three verses. We will finish it up in two weeks. We will, if the Lord wills. Understand, guys, the same spirit that dwelt within the first century believers, the apostles, the disciples, dwells within us as well. Not that we'll go around and say, you wicked person, be blind. Now, if the Holy Spirit tells you to do it, do it. I've never had that sensation, so, you know, stay within the confines of the Bible. 
But know that the Holy Spirit could use you to love, because obviously what is our ultimate goal as believers? To build up, the edification, to build up. Remember, if you weren't here last week, we read a verse that said, do good unto all, especially the household of faith. So as believers, we're called to do good. Not revenge, but I hate my supervisor. There's the problem right there. You hate your supervisor. You need to repent because God loves your supervisor. Are you kidding me? No, read your Bible. And maybe you're a supervisor, but I hate my employees. Okay, same thing. But I don't like my mate. Good, they don't like you. Get focused on Jesus. And you'll learn to like your mate and love your mates. Because Jesus likes your mate and loves your mate. Guys, we're in desperate days if you haven't figured it out. We're in very desperate days. And the enemy wants to get us so worked up that we'll hate people. No, we don't hate anybody. We love people because they're confused. They're deluded. They're delusional. We should have pity on them and be praying that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes to their delusion and that they would receive Jesus as their Savior because otherwise they're going to hell. God sends no one to hell. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, God loves you. He's sent his son to die for you. If you reject him, it's on you. It is not on God. You just heard the gospel. Stiff arm God. Go ahead. You've got free will. But when you show up at God's judgment throne, don't blame him. Because he just offered you salvation and you turned away. You're saying, I'd rather go to hell than spend eternity with God. God says, fine. Your will be done. Father, we thank you and praise you that you do give us free will and you will never disrespect that free will. If we choose to go to hell, that's where we'll go. And if we choose to go to heaven, you will gladly accept us. You're desiring us. Your word says that you take no delight in the destruction of the wicked. So, Father, we pray this week as we go out into a world that is accusing Christians of being hateful, and there are some Christians that are hateful, of being racist, and yes, there are some Christians that are being racist. Maybe they're not even saved. That's between you and God, them and God. But, Lord, we're not racist. We're not hateful. We don't want to be any of that. We want to be that loving example in our workplace, in our school, in our neighborhood, with our family members, wherever we might be, we want to be that loving example of Christ dying for the world, that we might plant, water, fertilize. And Lord, if it's your will, that we might pray with someone this very week to receive Jesus as their Savior. You would use any one of us to do that. So Father, give us boldness this week to ask people about heaven to ask people about Jesus, not during work, but on our own time, to ask people that we might be an ambassador for Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.